This week on the show, I'm joined by Adam Roach. And for anyone who doesn't know who Adam Roach is, who are you? So Adam Roach is born and raised Mid Midwest boy, Indiana. Yeah. I say I cut my teeth in the business world in Southern California. Okay. And uh, now live in Charleston, South Carolina. And you, what do you do now? So we have a company called the Olive Coaching Company. Okay. It is a brokerage for coaches. Okay. Yep. And, and so you've done a few things along the way. Tell me a little bit about it. So a few things from playing college tennis. Okay. To then being in the tennis world where we own tennis companies in SoCal. Well, one tennis. That's where you cut your teeth on business? Yep. And Just tennis? In tennis. Okay. Tennis and real estate flipping. Okay. Yep. Real estate flipping was interesting in my, my late 20s, early 30s. Okay. I had no clue what I was doing. Absolutely no clue. I don't see you as a carpenter, dude. <laughs> no, no, I just carpenter. don't see it. The bank said, hey, we have what's called 100% financing. <laughs> and, and you state your income. Okay. So I still don't even know what that means, but <laughs> let's figure this out. So they gave me all the money. They just said they were liar loans and, and go flip some houses. Yeah. And it work out. It well, okay. until 2008 came. Okay. We were holding about $2.5 million of, of properties that we were flipping, and none of them sold. Wow. None of them sold. How did that impact you? Well, it was, it was, I called it house money. Okay. We made, we'd made some, some, what was good money in my early thirties and it was yeah. at the bank. And so when we had to sell the houses for less than what I paid for them, okay. I just wrote the check that we had the money in the bank. Okay. And because I didn't know what a short sale was, I didn't know what a foreclosure yeah. was. And I just thought I had to do the right thing. And that's what we did. Okay. So you actually paid the bill. We did pay the bill. How come? Cause I, I didn't know not. Should not pay the bill. Okay. <laughs> I was taught it. Well, you're a good mid Midwestern boy. That's yeah. what we do, right? We do the right thing. I, it's interesting. I ask every, when people talk about failures, I keep asking that question of like, why did you do the right thing? And um, I keep wondering when I'm going to hear something similar to what you just said, which is that's just who you are. Now, here's something yeah. interesting. So one of my tennis pros, we won't name names here. Yeah. Went the opposite route. Okay. Went the opposite route, and he was fascinating. He had, I think he had, I don't know, let's call it 20 properties mm -hmm. that he was either flipping, holding, whatever. He had negative AM loans. Remember those? Yeah. Negative AM loans. Yeah. Robbing Peter to people. Robbing Peter to PayPal. Yeah. Yep. And started foreclosing on each one of them. So, and, but he knew what he was doing. He didn't care about his credit score. He yeah. was taking the rent. And by the time yeah. they were all foreclosed on, he had well over seven figures of cash in the bank. Wow. Started an investment group. They went to the they went to the county steps and bought the courthouse steps and bought the houses back. And he owned 10% of the investment company. <laughs> so so the it, opposite. Yeah, in his personal name, he left them all foreclosed and then formed an LLC or something. Yep, and then bought it back. Yeah, wow. And he collected all the rent. Didn't pay a penny. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Good business model, I guess. Uh, um <laughs> So you do. So then you're in tennis. How do you get into real estate? So tennis, real estate was flipping. Got my tennis business partner. Like after you, after you kind of quasi fail yep. at real estate, why not just like run into some other business? So one of my tennis business partners, who his name is Lee Ziff. Okay. Uh, he was with Keller Williams. He'd moved from Coldwell Banger to Keller Williams, and he handed me the MREA book, and he said, "Read this." He goes, "This is really a neat book." So I read it. Interesting. And he said, there's page 202. He didn't say that, but yeah. I know it now to be 202, the organizational model. He says, I want to build that. You want to do it with me? Okay. Said, You're running the tennis club. You're a partner of ours. Let's do the same thing in real estate. So that was it. That was 2006, 2007-ish. Okay. And what did you do? The trash man. <laughs> I was a trash man. For the, for the new real estate company? The old new real estate company. <laughs> I literally did. We called myself the trash man because I took the trash out. I was his admin. I was a buyer agent. I was a selling agent. I was the accountability guy. 
Uh, I bet you're actually not a good trash man. No, I was a horrible <laughs> trash man. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So how did you get into leadership then? So leadership was the team leader of the market center, the Beverly Hills office. Rob Agner was his name. Okay. Um, I taught him tennis. Okay. And, and I said, I can do what you do. He says, prove it. I said, give me a gig. Yeah. And so he got me a gig in Carmel, Indiana. Okay. And so at the time, my, my wife wanted to live in the south of the Midwest and not want to raise our kids in, in uh, Southern California. And were you from there? I was from there, yep. yep. So you yep. moved back close to your family, yep. and you're in Carmel, yep. and the job was not trash man, but yep. team, leader. team leader. Team um, leader. What was the experience like? I knew nothing. I knew nothing. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. job, knowing nothing. Uh, so I read the MRA book 10 times in six months. Okay. Yep. So that was that one book that Lee gave me. And I thought, well, if all these people are following this guy who wrote this book, I might as well read his book yeah. and master the book. So I mastered all the models. So you were out of the market in Indianapolis when I got in. Yeah. So you were gone by the time I got there. Yeah. Um, but I've but I've heard third-hand stories. What was your experience as a team leader in Indianapolis? You know, that's a good question because I was told I had to do uh, five things. Okay. Recruit, 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 <laughs> train, and consult. Okay. So the first three recruiting, yeah. uh, this is what I did. I literally pulled out. This is before any kind of CRM was developed that I eventually established. Yeah. Um, I printed out every agent on the board that I could <laughs> in a, on, a, on a, in a piece of paper okay. and created three stacks. So I had a stack of paper in the office. I don't know how tall this guy, yeah. a foot tall, two feet tall. And I literally every day would come in, take it, take it, take it off. And when in my time block, I'd, there was Bob Smith, there was Susie Jones, there yeah. was whoever. And I'd take it off. Did they answer or did they not answer? If they answered, I put it in the conversation file. Okay. And if they didn't answer, I put it in the didn't answer file. And if I set an appointment, I put it in, a, in a, an appointment file. And yeah. so I literally just called all day, every day. So that was your CRM? That was my CRM. Was basically three file drawers, three stacks of paper, or whatever it was. Yep. And, and how, did that, how did it go? It was great. Yeah, I just got to sit there and talk to people all day <laughs> about the MREA book and try to set appointments. Now, here was the, here was the interesting, part, interesting part, though. Is man, I failed miserably. What, what, and how? Because I wanted to make it all about me. And what I learned was the leadership component in the recruiting space is it's not about you. And it starts with you. Yeah. It's not about you, though. Right. So I would sit there and tell them about my Beverly Hills time. I'd tell them about this. I'd tell them about that. And, and I didn't learn anything about them. So it was recruiting sales? Uh, recruiting's listening. Okay. It's gap creation. Gap create. Yeah, recruiting is literally sitting there in the space of asking questions. Okay. Yeah. How do you do gap creation? Uh, well, you have a starting point. Okay. You know, you have, I call it the four corners of a conversation. Okay. And we've heard it many different ways. So you have your positive present. Okay. And you have your negative present. Yep. Negative future and positive future. Okay. And so when you can start to really engage in questions in each one of those quadrants, if you will, now you can really start to engage them in the conversation and make it not about you. Gotcha. So you go in then and you're asking a question mm-hmm. about one of those four corners. Yep. The, I'm, I'm assuming that's positive and present. Yep. What might be a question you would ask? Eric, tell me what specifically is working well right now. Gotcha. So we're starting with right now. Yep. And then you're going to create a gap around what's working well. Tell what what might that sound like? Well, so then I'll take you into. Well, tell me what specifically is not working well right now. Okay. So mm-hmm. now that I'm in the, and now you've moved me to negative present. Right. And so you're going to tell me. 
Yep. And I'm going to ask what I call the three amigos. Okay. What else? What else? Is there anything else? Okay. Right. I really want to think about our conversation as a water bottle. And a water bottle is full of water. And as I take you through this process, I'm going to empty that water bottle out. So if I okay. get into a space where I can feel either pain or if I can feel that there's something there, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep asking what else? Something more. Is it possible no one has pain? Like uh -huh. that there's nothing in that negative present? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So regardless of what someone tells you, you know the answer is there's something, there's something to dig for in yeah. the negative present. And then my favorite question was, Eric, tell me what concerns you about that. Okay. Right. So again, we're, we're creating gaps in a business space, but then I'm going to take you into an emotional space and that's going to be emotion. Okay. What concerns you about that? And then I'll go into what else, what else, tell me, what is there yeah. else? Well, this is weird. I haven't heard you tell me about this presentation that you have. Okay. I mean, you know, I thought that, I thought I had to have this fancy recruiting presentation and this, you know, like wild, amazing marketing pitch deck and all that doesn't come into play. No, not at all. Interesting. Not at all. How come? Because again, all you're doing is just stating curiosity and you're just asking questions. Okay. Yeah. And I'm never, I'm not pitching. No, I mean, I could, I could recruit you to anything. Got gotcha. I really could. Yeah. If I know how, what your gap is, what the pain is, and I'll, I'll leave you in a positive future. Okay. As asking you if I can help you find the solutions. Okay. And nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes. Gotcha. And I'm closing then or, or how does that work? Yeah, it's a window. It's a window. Yeah, if you see a window opportunity to close, close it. But if you can step into that proverbial closing window, go work. Otherwise, no, drag it out. I like dragging it out. But time's not your friend in, in recruiting. What do you mean by that? I want to pique your interest, right? Okay. In recruiting space, I'm going to pique your interest. Okay. And as that interest is peaked and you feel that pain, you don't want to stay in that pain. So if I say, Eric, man, this has been a great appointment. Let's do it again in seven days. Too long? Way too long. How long is the right time? 48 hours, no more. So I'm always driving to now, sooner, or basically the, the next step that, that is logical. Yeah. Right? Now, you may be a little scared to have the next appointment because you know you're probably going to have to make a change. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to not show up or I'm going to try to not make it in the next 48 hours. That's right. And how are you, how are you reeling me in? So here's a, that's a funny, I got a story. So there was a guy that... Um, that pushed me off, pushed me off, pushed me off. And his, his, his big motivation was fishing with his son. Okay. And I had him, and I had a big whiteboard in my office, and I had him write up all this stuff on the whiteboard, and I took a picture of it, and we called that his big why. And for every quarter, I sent him a rod and reel. Okay. An actual rod and reel, and just saying, I'm just trying to catch you. Because I've caught your big why. Here it is. And I'd always put it in the uh, package. Okay. And then finally he came back. He's like, all right, I'm ready to talk. What was he running from? Pain. Mm -hmm. But why you? Like, what did you have to do with that? The creation of the pain? Through the question? Yeah, I mean, he's, if he's in pain, he's dodging you. How come? That's a good question. I think at the end of the day, he didn't want to face the pain. Okay. Yeah, he, he knew the solution was there, but the solution was going to be the change. Gotcha. Yeah. So... Making no decision was better Easier. than the, the confrontation of the actual problem. Here's what we know. You're not going to wake up and say, oh, my gosh, I hope Adam Roach recruits me today. <laughs> You're not going to say that. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, there will be a point in time where it's like, I think I might need to follow this individual. Okay. Yeah. And so how does that light bulb show up? You have to, is that time on task over time? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things we find that's kind of interesting is that um, some of the most successful real estate agents mm -hmm. 
hate more than anything recruiting. Mm. I don't know if you find the similar pattern or not, but if so, why do you think that is? Ego. Okay. Mm. I agree with you. There you go. But unpack that for the listener. Yeah, if you think about it. Um, I think it's 100% spot on. Yeah, I, I think he, Gary Gary has been saying it for a while. Uh, the ego is the we go or the me go. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of me goes out there. And I think at the end of the day, it's 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 agents are in the independent individuals yeah right so there's a lot of me go and they've had to do a lot themselves right real estate agents have had to do a lot themselves yeah and now it's 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 me coming from beverly hills to carmel indiana with my stacks of paper setting appointments saying let me tell you about me yeah right and i hope that i impress you enough for you to follow me because that's oftentimes how a listing appointment works that's right and what you just told me is that a recruiting conversation sounds nothing like a listing yeah. presentation. Yeah. But I would still make the argument that a listing presentation should never sound like that anyway. Right. That's one of the fallacies in general of our industry. But that's a different podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things I think, tell me in your experience, you're on the similar track, which mm -hmm. is the ego component is most of the, the most successful real estate agents convert at a really high rate mm -hmm. on their listing presentations, buyer consults. But recruiting conversions, not so high, right? Yeah. Well, a couple of things go into play there. Number one, you're looking for vision, right? So you've got to have a vision and you got to look to see if that individual aligns with your vision. Okay. Okay. Number two is core values. If the individual does not align with your core values, it's okay. It's not the right fit. Yeah. Right. So I say that all the time to anybody that I'm coaching is simply, let's talk about the vision. Let's talk about the core values. Mm -hmm. I have a coach right now that says, Adam, uh, in, a, in a conversion space of uh, clients or even coaches, you should have no greater than a 30 to 40% conversion rate. No greater than 30 to 40%. Yep, no greater. So basically, if you're, if you're having more success than that, you're just not calling the right people? You're no, not. on the contrary, you're letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry in, and you're not holding your vision or your core values aligned. Got it. Uh, uh, accountable. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's a, that's a wildly different... Mindset change. Yeah, I, I had to switch it. Okay. Right? I had to switch it. Uh, how long did that take? It's still working on it. I'm still working on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because you want to close every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what we're taught is, is yeah. you have a high conversion rate. You yeah. know, at the end of the day, it's, it's he's really helped me see. So even in the space of, um, you can say, take real estate agents or, in our case, the coaching yeah. world. As I'm coaching the coaches, they get to set their own price inside of I Love Coaching. Okay. Okay. And my coach says, again, that 30 to 40%, if it's greater than that, from a coach to a client conversion rate, your price is too low. Okay. Makes sense. Price is too low. Makes sense. Uh, so you've got multiple businesses that you run. We haven't even gotten to software. We right. talked, you got this, you know, you got a coaching company. You've yep. got several other businesses, serial entrepreneur. How do you uh, get motivated and excited every day to do that? What, what is the, what's the fuel? Yeah. Without sounding cliche, it's, it's the passion. Passion yeah, for what? My passion for creation, for building, for innovating, for yeah. impacting. Yeah, it's, it's not like saving pygmies or like, you know, not some giant cause, right? It's you wake up motivated and excited to do what? Well, so we create a recruiting bridge, right? So yeah. so we take those stacks of paper yeah. that I had in Carmel, Indiana. And yeah. I, uh, this, there's got to be an easier way to do this. So we create a recruiting bridge. And you, there was not a better solution at the time. No. Uh -oh. Still well, blows my mind, they, by uh, the way. I don't know that answer to be true. Okay. I didn't do any research. I just knew what I needed. <laughs> and, and so you do no research. And you're like, you know what I'll do? I'll start a tech company. Yeah, we did. We started a tech company. What made you think you should start a tech company? 
Well, I wasn't great. Here, here's here's the true story. Is I had the idea, okay, because it was going to simplify my life. Okay, I had a really good friend in Los Angeles who was a developer or coder. Okay, and he had crashed one of my cars when I lived out there, and I took the blame for it. I took the fall for it, and um, and so I called him up and said, "Hey, remember that car you crashed in mine that I paid for?" It's okay, to call in that favor, and I said, "Can you build something like this?" And he said, "Sure." Was he building it for you or building it oh, for the market? Exactly. He was building it for me. When did you decide then to sell it and to when, bring it market? When I was at an event and I was sitting there working, doing my work, I yeah. had someone leaning over my shoulder saying, tell me what that is. And so I gave it to him. Got it. Use it. So you found you were the only one who had that same problem. That's correct. So we, we became category kings because we taught people they had a problem. Yeah. Then their problem was that they had stacks of paper in their office too. Okay. Yeah. You taught people they had a problem. That's right. At the time, did they not know that? No. They had no idea. How do you teach a market that has a problem? We give them a solution. You show them a solution to what, that they don't know that they have a problem with. Mm -hmm. And like, holy cow, I can solve this if I had that. And so there it was. Yeah. And that recruiting bridge then just took off like wildfire. Yeah. How do you keep your energy so high? Like you're one of the most, inner, like when I engage with you, you're one of the most uh, energetic level 12 players. Every conversation I ever have, you're 100%. Cool. How do you do that? So it's illegal. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we can't talk about it on the pod. Okay, cool. That's fine. Tyler, cut this. <laughs> no, it, it's, man, I just love life. Yeah. I, I love life. It's, um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's easy. It's challenging. Again, without sounding cliche. I mean, what, what's, what's there not to love? Yeah. You know I mean? Seriously. Come on. What's the alternative? <laughs> Misery, right? Yeah, right. Uh, but. What what role does like your routine, your habits, your health? How does that all fl flow into it? You know, I was taught a long time ago that the four levels of learning that if you can get to an mm -hmm. unconscious, competent state mm -hmm. fast, then you don't even have to think about doing things, and it makes okay. everything so much easier. Like yeah. so, example, my morning routine, it's pretty simple, right? I, I get up. My doctors told me about two years ago I had to take start taking a walk. Okay. I thought that was the dumbest thing on the yeah, freaking planet. Yeah, how come you have to take a walk? He's like, listen, you, you're, you're good fitness, you're you're in shape, um, but your brain needs to chill the F out. Okay. It's just a go for a 30-minute walk a day. And I was like, that, that's the dumbest thing on the Who would want to do that? It's my meditation time. So you go in silence? Totally. No podcast? No podcast. No, book, no, no music. No okay. Nothing. Phone's in my pocket. Okay. In the winter time, too? You're going yeah. outside? Yeah. Okay. Charleston doesn't get that cold. Well, yeah, yeah I mean... So I'm not take, familiar, but yeah, I'll, I'll take up walking and I'll tell you what, man, it's, it's, I'm still a little psycho with it because I track how okay. many miles I'm actually walking. Okay. So the year to date, I'm at like 1200 miles I've walked. Wow. And, uh, but that, that's where I start, right? How'd that help? Let me go to the gym. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. I get to literally be present. Now I'll catch myself. Look at your phone. Hey, go look at your bank account. Hey, go look at the same So you take your phone with you. It's in my yeah. pocket. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, but here's the neat part is I can now control that. Gotcha. From the standpoint of interesting. Don't do it. Okay. Don't don't react. You still get the impulse. We don't necessarily react. Yep. And then you're hitting the gym. And yep. So then we go to the gym. Uh, this year we're doing doing something silly, which okay. is um, which is the shake weight, right? You were saying the shake, shake weight. Yeah, the shake yeah. weight. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, okay. A masogi. Have you ever heard of a masogi? No. So masogi is a Japanese word. I'm totally gonna butcher this definition, but it's it's uh it's doing something that is always on their mind, right? So it's it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge that yeah. you're going to commit to doing something that doesn't leave your mind. So for me, it was a couple of buddies and I, we decided to do a push-up and a crunch for each day of the year. 
Gotcha. So we're you know, a little over halfway through. Yeah, we're going to do like 200. Today. Okay, yeah, cool. 228 today. So today was day 228 for crunches and push-ups. So did you have to do 228 push-ups and 228 crunches? Yeah, yesterday was 227. Okay, so down hole at one time? Yeah. I mean, you don't do it. So, so I do my, what I normally do is I'll do 100. Okay. And then I'll break it down and set to 25. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the goal is always to do 100 push-ups. All day or just in the morning? No, just in the morning. Okay. Yep. So that's the morning routine. So get up, take a walk, walk to the gym, do that, do the exercise. Then I'll walk home uh, and then I'll get into my journaling. Then I'll get into my devotional and then I'll get into my tracking. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the day. You got kids too. I have two kids. How do you manage that? So I've got an ex-wife, so she gets them half the time. Yeah. Ooh, so much better. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> so that's a good strategy. Got it. Awesome. Okay, cool. That's the hack. Getting Lauren, this is <laughs> bad news. <laughs> At the time. No, totally, totally bad. Scratch that. Um, they are truly, um, they play tennis. Yeah. Like at a high level. At a high level. They go to tennis academies, both of them. And some was like, you know, top, top, top. They're, they're growth, okay. top of the nation. And we, we travel to tournaments. So we'll drive, we'll drive, we'll fly. Mm -hmm. Six hours, eight hours, we'll drive in the car. That windshield time, Eric, for me is, there's nothing better in the world. Why? Sit there and just have conversations with your kid. Okay. You know, if I would have had six to eight hours of windshield time with my dad back in the day, I mean, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. But what we get to do is develop just the relationship. Tell me about that. What would you, what, what would be different if you had that with your dad? Again, I think I probably would ask a hell of a lot more questions. Okay. You know, with him being a world coach. A world coach. Yeah, what do you mean? He was Olympic swim coach. So he was all around the world coaching okay. athletes. Yeah. And so I probably just ask him a lot more questions. So the, my kids, I'll, I'll, I'll set the tone with the questions mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we'll just let it rip. Yeah. Your dad passed away recently. What would you have asked him or what would you ask him today? You know, that's a great question. Why didn't you teach me how to shoot a gun? And why didn't you teach me how to start a fire? Okay. Because okay. um, you need both those skills you do, big time. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's interesting. So I read a book called um, The Inspirational Father. Okay. Great book, great Christian book. And, and it talks about how you as a father should show your kids your path. Good, bad, and ugly. Okay. Show the path. And so if I was, if he was still alive, I would ask him about his path. Because I really didn't know much about his path. Okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a roach in Indiana. I am, I think, fifth generation. Mm -hmm. And I'm the first one off the farm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I would have asked more about that. I mean, I knew okay. Grandpa. I knew the farm. I knew all that stuff. But I didn't know anything about that. Okay. About how he became a, yeah. an Olympic Yeah, I have no idea. Coach. You, you literally have no idea how he got to that level. No, of that level, no. Wow. What did he study? What did he read? Who was his who's? Who did he surround himself with? Were you just never curious about that as a kid? It just didn't come up? It never came up. Okay. Yeah. Did you think that your dad was a good coach ever, or he was just dad? He was always dad. Yeah. It wasn't until he passed at his funeral that I actually got to see the impact that he had on so many people. Wow. Yeah. So many people. He just didn't talk about it ever? No. No. Which, which then caused me, I call it the beach chair moment. Caused me, after he passed, I went down, went back to Charleston. Yeah. By myself, sat on the beach. And I took my water. Uh, I took a radio. And took a journal. And a, sh and a, a lot of sunscreens. Okay. I have no hair. <laughs> and, um, dude, I sat there and I drank water and I cried. I listened to music and I jerk. Drank water. Cried. Listened to music. Journaled. Over and over and over for four days straight. Mm-hmm. And really experienced that funeral, the impact that it had on so many people. And that's where the I Love Coaching Company was actually born. We, I, 
I don't know what it was. It was a godsend thing that a hundred thousand, hundred, a hundred million came to my mind. And so the vision of the Isle of Coaching Company is to empower coaches to change and serve a hundred million people okay. by using our real coaching blueprint. Okay. Yeah. And so how, and how long were you there in that, in that beach chair moment? Ooh, how many hours? Um, I was there for at least four days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Four days of just that just, same routine. Mm -hmm. Water, water, tears, journal, water, tears, journal, music. Okay. Sunscreen and sunscreen. Yeah. Sunscreen. We were talking before we, before we jumped on about a topic that frankly, we've just never come up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what, let's do it. Um, yeah. health. Yeah. The idea of like men's health. Yeah. One of the like un relatively undiscussed topics. Yeah. Obviously this is a show for entrepreneurs, but health just so happens to be the most important component of it. Mm. What have you learned or experienced or discovered as far as men's health as you've kind of aged and changed and yeah. in order to stay like a peak performer? Size? No, that's not. Um, is, <laughs> that was a lie, wasn't it? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's a lie. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> is, so after my father passed, that's when I really dove into the whole Okay. He was only 69. Because he died young. Yeah, he died. Yeah. He actually died training for a triathlon. Wow. I'll never phrase it. He learned that he had Parkinson's training for a triathlon. Okay. Because his times were slowing down. Mm. And that was not what it should have been doing. So instead wow. of beating himself up, he just went to the doctor and said, hey, something's not right. And they were like, yeah, you have Parkinson's. Wow. He was like, oh, that's a problem. So... I don't know if there would have been any early diagnosis had he been into his blood work, had he been into those types of things. But after he passed, I thought, I told him before he died, that's one thing I'm going to beat him in, was the age. Okay. And so it really took me down the path of understanding whether it was my own blood work, understanding um, my my energy levels, understanding my testosterone, understanding yeah. hormones, understanding all that stuff. And man, I've just, the last two and a half years just really dove into it. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that's starting to, like, gain a little bit of uh, public momentum, it seems like, is, the, you know, that topic of, of testosterone. I think I was looking at something the other day. It's like men today have roughly almost 50% of the same testosterone levels as um, a male in 1980. Wow. So pretty significant decline yeah. in male testosterone levels. So what's your experience been like that? So went and got tested. Yeah. And I was in the 400 range. Okay. And they were like, listen. Which is kind of low to normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad for a 40-year-old guy. Yeah. 40, I'm 46 now. And uh, he said, you can keep it there. Okay. Or you can feel like a 20-year-old. <laughs> so that's a tough choice. <laughs> that's a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> question. I said, well, tell me about what, what it is. And so yeah. this whole series, it wasn't as if he just kind of gave me something. He's like, this is going to be really catered to you. Yeah. Um, and then we got into the peptide conversation as well. Okay. So the testosterone though is, it's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling you before we started recording that I, that I went a little excessive just to see what it was looking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked like. I went yeah. 400 to 1300. Okay. And that was, that was a high. Which is a little bit over high. Yeah, a little over yeah. high. Yeah. And then I got off over 90 days. Okay. Went all the way down to hundred. So I could feel the difference. Big difference. And I knew this different. Massive difference. What did that feel like though? Just because yeah. here's the interesting thing. There are a lot of people walking around this convention center right now with a 100 or lower yes. who have no awareness to it. Yeah, that, that's their norm. Yeah. I, that, that feeling that they have is them thinking I'm getting older. Yeah. That's okay. what that really is, Yeah, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was But no how did energy. you notice? No energy? No right. energy. 2.30, I was ready for a nap. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't drink coffee. Okay. Uh, though I felt like I needed some caffeine or yeah. boost. But we know caffeine just blocks your sleepiness. Yeah. Receptors anyway. Yeah. So, 
there was a big, big difference. So now we, we, we maintain around 900. So I would equate that to like your drive and energy was diminished. Yep. Right. Yep. And, um, and so that's changed, I would imagine significantly. Big time. Yeah. Big time. So now, now it just, it just, it creates longer stints of yeah. energy, longer stints. Yeah. I get, let's go back to being a teenager again. Of course. Right. Right. Your parents had to force you to go to bed. That's right. And go inside. That's right. And, uh, and, and actually go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's interesting because I talked to, a, uh, obviously I talked to entrepreneurs every day yeah. and they very, very rarely that conversation comes up. How come you're open and, and dialogue about talking about men's health? I mean, what, what, what's there to hide? I don't know. Right. I mean, there's absolutely nothing to hide. I don't know. Uh, if you feel like shit then yeah act like it right hey yeah um so that's just not like up a tea so i want to i want to be able to live at the highest level possible i want to be able to do the things that my my 15 year old son can beat me in tennis now that's unfortunate the doctor can't fix that right (laughs) the doctor can't fix that part though is it because is it because you've regressed or no no we're gonna say it's because he's out (laughs) okay though he did say he did say (laughs) you got one off no here's what he said he said dad dad I wish I could have seen you in your prime. <laughs> no dad wants to hear that. No dad wants to hear that. So I call him Dr. Ryan and Dr. Ryan, hey, hey we got to double it. Make this point. So no, why am I open to it? Man, it's, 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 it's real. Yeah. It's real. It's interesting though. That so it's, it's this fascinating, uh, stigma that hardly gets discussed. So, um, so I love that you have talked about it. I've, I, I do find that growing trend though. Yeah. You know, we were saying I, I've been on as well and, yeah. um, do you notice when, 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 they're, when you're not? Uh, yeah. Makes a big difference. Uh, what are you mo- as we wrap up, what are you most excited about in the next, uh, you said you're going you're gonna to outlive your dad, so what are you excited about in the next 46 years? Great question. So, kids. Okay. You know, watching the kids just grow and develop. Yeah. Uh, my marriage. So we got remarried to what we call each other our equal, right? Okay. Which is really neat. Hey, um, she's just better looking. She has more hair. She has a lot more hair. She's better looking. <laughs> she's not as tall though, which is a good thing. Though we just celebrated our one year anniversary. Yeah. I'm gonna live to be 103, so I have 57 more to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's those two, and then just the development of I Love Coaching. Okay. You know, just to continue to develop that platform for coaches to go on impact. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. 